0: Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. How are you? You awake? Okay, let's see if we can wake you up a bit. Um, we are uh, obviously studying God's Word this morning. We're from the Bible. If you haven't got a Bible in front of you, it would be really, really helpful to have a Bible in front of you. Just stick your hand up if you'd like a church Bible. Uh, we're coming from Luke 7 this morning. If you just happen to have one of those church Bibles, you're on page 1035, One O two. No, that's wrong. 1035. 1035. Um, that's where Luke 7 will be found. If not, it's the third gospel, part of the New Testament, and uh, hopefully you'll find it. While you're looking for it, let me tell you a story about my past. Julia told you about um, when she was a child. I'm going to go a bit older than that. When I was in my early 20s, I find myself working for the police. Uh, I wasn't a policeman. Um, I helped look t- this won 't surprise you. I helped uh, them look after their computer systems. I was part of a initially part of a team of twelve people, uh, and we kept the computer systems of Kent Police running around the clock. Sometimes I would be trying to stay awake at three o 'clock in the morning wondering why a red light had come on and uh, trying to find who I should phone to ask about that red light to find out that it 's always been on or something like that. Um, often I would find myself in the middle of the night um, travelling out to somewhere in Kent. It might be somewhere perhaps where Juliet came from. I has a police station. Used to go there once in a while. Uh, often down to uh, the Channel Ports. And to get there I had to drive a car. And I was allowed to drive police cars. Blue lights. Big orange letters on the back. P-O-L-I-C-E. It was great. I had had to take a special test to prove I wasn't going to make them all embarrassed about the fact that I was driving these police cars particularly badly. But I found myself um, quite early on going down to Folkestone, and it was the first time I'd driven a fully marked police car. And I was on the M20, and I'm feeling quite... You're in this car, and it's really bright, and you think everyone's looking at you. Actually, they're not. You know what? Nobody looks at you because it's a police car, isn't it? <laughs> Everyone's don't no no eye contact. So I'm driving down the M20, and I'm thinking to myself, well, there's not much traffic around. Clear road ahead of me. <laughs> then I looked in my mirror, <laughs> and and well, behold! As far as the eye could see, there was the whole of Kent following me. <laughs> <laughs> the power. It was amazing, and then it happened. One individual, brave soul. I'm doing 68 miles an hour. Can't break the speed limit, not in a police car. Even I don't have authority for that. But some brave soul, 70 miles an hour, trying to get past. I'm sitting in the slow lane, and he's coming past me. And I looked across, and there he is. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> it was kind of a phony authority. I was not a policeman. I was allowed to drive police cars, I think it was part of their, their way of making it seem like there were more policemen on duty, I don't know. But anyway, we were allowed to drive Mark cars, took one through a McDonald's drive-thru, that's another story, I'll tell you that another day. <laughs> but it was a phony authority. What we're looking at this morning here as we look at Luke chapter 7 is a real authority. There is nothing better than this authority. So let's read it together. I'm going to read it uh, in stages and I'm going to break it down and we're going to look at some of the detail, put it into context, try and uh, understand it a bit better this morning. Incidentally, this follows on. Uh, we did Pentecost last Sunday, um, but before that we had Martin Irwin speaking here on Luke chapter 6 and he was talking about what it was, what it is to be wise and um, all the teachings uh, of Jesus. This immediately follows on. So when it says in verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. Okay, stop there for a moment. Here we have a centurion. We've got to remember, at the time there was a Roman occupation of the region, the centurion wouldn't have been uh, particularly popular, Uh, He would have actually, um, a man himself, been in authority, being a centurion, he would have looked after around about a hundred men. Generally speaking, these people weren't very much liked. Then we have this servant. We know very little about the servant. It could be a man, probably was a man, may have been a lady. We don't know. All we know is that they were gravely ill. In fact, they were about to die. But he valued him very highly. And this is the first part of this story, which is quite odd. Let's continue reading. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation And has built our synagogue. There's another interesting and strange situation here. Remember, this is a centurion. This is part of the Roman occupying force. Generally speaking, the Jews tolerated them. They were there. They kind of worked alongside them. But actually, they wouldn't have gone with such rapport. He was a foreigner. So it's interesting that he doesn't send the Jews as just messengers. They were generally pleading on his behalf. He'd been around, obviously, quite a while, long enough to uh, help them build the synagogue, and we know that building projects do take a while. So he'd been a while there, and he'd obviously grown favorably in their eyes, so that actually it wasn't just them coming to Jesus and saying, oh, oh, Lord, we have a, a, a message um, from a, one of the centurions and, and actually, you know, we, we like to keep him happy. No, he was very much valued by the Jewish community as well. Let's read on verse 6. So Jesus went with them, I suspect, because actually he also thought, well, this is an odd situation. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends t- to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve To have you under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and your servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go, and he goes. This one to come, and he comes. I say to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The centurion demonstrates his clear understanding of authority and his faith in Jesus' authority. As far as we know, he'd never met Jesus. He knew about him. He'd heard about him. But this amazes Jesus and his servant is healed. We're going to continue with the passage, verse 11, and we're into a second story. This happens soon after, possibly around about two days after. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was with her. just want you to for a moment pause there and just picture the scene. Jesus has quite a following. He has a large crowd, and he's arriving at this town gate. Coming in the opposite direction is this funeral procession. And there is a large crowd. The customs of the time were that when somebody died, they were to be buried quickly. As soon as it was known that someone had died, the whalers would come, and the process of mourning would begin and not end until the person was buried. In fact, they even had professional whalers that would come along and help you mourn. As one commentator puts it, if you were not crying because of the grief, you would be crying because of the noise of all the wailing. They didn't embalm the body. A person who died was usually buried uh, that day or the next day if they'd, been, um, if they'd died in the previous evening. The body would have been washed, spices put onto it. And those who were in mourning would not wash they might tear their clothes wear sackcloth put ashes on their head they'd often walk barefoot allow their hair to fall loose and they may or may not wear a veil the person who would be buried in would be buried in their clothes or possibly wrapped in burial clothes the body would be carried just on wooden planks attached to poles to the burial site with the family walking close by. So can you imagine the scene? Quite a remarkable scene. And also note, this is her only son. And she herself is a widow. What this meant was that as a perhaps older lady, all of her future security was gone. She was already without a husband, and now her only son was also dead. The crowd would have known this, and that would have probably been the reason why there was such a crowd mourning with her. The local town would realize that her her future needs were going to be quite difficult for her, because of a lady in that particular culture, it wasn't easy to gain an income. Jesus realized this too. Let's read on. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he does something amazing. Well, it's amazing for those that would have been there. He went up and touched the bier. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. Not surprising, really. In Jewish culture, to touch a dead body or to touch something associated with a dead body, would have made Jesus ceremoniously unclean for seven days. It just wasn't done. And then, of course, he does something even more amazing, and he says, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe. Well, you would be, wouldn't you? And praise God... A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Some key points for us to note in this passage this morning. The first is this. Jesus has authority and we need to recognize it. The centurion, he did recognize it. So much so that Jesus was amazed by his faith. Do you know there are only two places where Jesus was amazed as recorded in our Gospels. One is here in this passage that we're reading this morning, and the other is in Mark chapter 6 and verse 6. No need to look it up, but it's the bit where Jesus talks about the lack of faith in his own community. He is amazed at their lack of faith. So on the one hand, you've got him earlier on in his own community, and he's amazed at their lack of faith, and now he's amazed at the faith of the centurion and I read that and understood that I thought I wonder where my faith is on that scale of amazed at the lack of faith and amazed at the the amazing faith of the centurion that well, was a bit of a challenge where are you on the scale of amazing faith and where do you want to be the centurion never met Jesus in the flesh he had heard the accounts And he believed. I sometimes talk to people and meet people who talk about the fact that you know it's all just Bible stories. It's all it's all sort of hearsay. It's all it's all well. If only we could actually meet Jesus. Well, this centurion never actually, we believe, met Jesus, but he still had faith. So whilst it might have been nice to be around in the days when Jesus walked this earth, and it might have even been nice to be one of his followers or one of his disciples, I take encouragement from the fact that we can be more like the centurion. Yeah, even the disciples had bad faith days. And they were with him every day. But this centurion had amazing faiths. So in these two accounts that we've read, we see Jesus' authority being demonstrated. We also, in these two accounts, see Jesus showing his mercy, even though they either didn't know him or had previously met him. In the first account, Jesus responded to a cry of help. In the second, he saw what was happening and simply intervened. We have a savior that wants to intervene. Jesus wants to make a difference. He has the authority and the power to do so. He can make the sick well, and he can raise the dead. Now, I'm glad he's woken up at this moment. (laughs) Morning, Mike. I've got a number of questions for you this morning, and there's a little bit of congregation participation, if you like. And if you want a clue as to the answer, and I hope the answer is obvious, the answer is a yes or a hallelujah or something positive, and I'm sure Mike will lead the charge. You see, when we talk about the fact that Jesus can heal the sick and Jesus can raise the dead, I don't know about you, but I sometimes find those challenges of understanding that and the reality can really cause us struggles in our faith. So let me ask you some questions. Do we believe we have a saviour in Jesus that came and lived as a man and, and died that he could save us? Yes. Yes. Right. When he was here as a man on earth, do we believe he performed miraculous things including the healing of the sick, the restoration of sight for the blind and the raising of the dead? Yes. Do we believe that he had the authority to do so? Yes. Do we believe that he himself died but then was raised from the dead? Do we believe that he is still alive and reigns as our saviour and king today? Do we believe that he still has the same authority to make a difference to our lives with the restoration and healing power? So why don't we see more of it? That's my biggest challenge when I looked at this. Why don't we see more of that power in our everyday lives? Are we just too British? I mean, you hear about particularly third world nations and, and some of the, the African nations, where you hear great accounts of miraculous signs and wonders. You do hear of people being raised from the dead. You do hear of people being healed. Are we perhaps too embarrassed to ask? What is it that means that here in our land we don't see that so much? Is it that our faith can't stretch that far? Well, perhaps we need to see things from a different perspective. Perhaps we need to see things from heaven's perspective. A bit of kingdom thinking. I know the man that was raised from the dead. His name is John. I wasn't there, which I was. He was an estate agent. He was nearing uh, retirement age and he was looking forward to taking some nice retirement and um, bearing in mind this is about 30 years ago, uh, this story. Estate agents weren't doing too badly at the time. He was quite a wealthy man, owned a nice big house, ready for retirement. Everything was going well, except he didn't know Jesus. Then he got ill, and he went uh, to hospital to be operated on and had heart surgery. He had a triple heart bypass. Actually, those things are quite common practice these days, and even back then, it wasn't unusual to have a triple heart bypass, but it was quite a risky operation. But he got through it okay, and he was recovering, and he was in a normal ward when he died. No one was there. I can't actually give you anybody's names of who was there who can account for this other than John himself. Because I shortly after met with John when he walked into our church. He'd never stepped foot in a church before. And he simply said this, I need your help. You see, I was in hospital and I had a triple heart bypass and apparently I died. And I distinctly remember meeting this person who was called Jesus. Jesus. Have you met John? You would have no shadow of a doubt that his story holds true. If you knew people that knew John before he met Jesus, you would have no shadow of a doubt that this is what happened. Jesus met him in heaven and sent him back. And him and his wife Sue have lived many years on and he plays the piano occasionally, and he, he was in the worship band, he completely turned his life around. Jesus intervened. Amen. thing is, I struggle to find other stories to tell you. They are so few and far between. What do we need to understand this morning as Abbey Church? Well, firstly, we need to understand the real authority in Jesus we ne- need to allow him to fully demonstrate his power and allow him to access all areas. When I think of authority, I think of you know, things like security passes and, and going to concerts and being able to go into you know, perhaps a VIP area or backstage. When it comes to authority of Jesus in our lives, he needs at least a backstage pass, doesn't he? He needs access all areas areas we need to allow him to do that and we need to do so with the right attitude the attitude of the centurion you see when a man like the centurion who has power to destroy and they were feared by the local people when he with the power to destroy chooses to build then we see the kingdom of god Drawing near. When a man with economic privilege, the centurion, welcomes those without as equal status, then we see the kingdom of God is brought near. When a man takes a humble approach and lifts the need of his humble servant, we see the kingdom of God is brought near. So having looked at this passage and having seen Jesus' authority worked out in real practical terms with him showing mercy to the servant and mercy to the mother, raising her dead son. What does that mean to us this morning? You also find this passage not just in Luke but in Matthew. Matthew. If you read the passage in Matthew, you'll find it in chapters 8 and 9. And in there, Matthew documents the reasons that Jesus could teach with such authority. Jesus had authority over disease, over nature, over the supernatural, over sin, and even over death. But then, he also gave us his authority. When we become followers of Jesus... We are adopted into his family and as his family members, we have entirely that authority. The challenge is, do we have the faith of the centurion and do we have the attitude of his heart? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just... Well, I don't know about others, but I feel challenged by what we read this morning. I feel challenged because perhaps my faith isn't big enough. I don't know. Lord, you know that I have seen and I have praised you for what I have seen in many miraculous things that I have seen in my own life. Whether it's John who you met in heaven and sent back. Well, it's friends that I've seen healed. But Lord, when I look around and when I know of people that are still suffering and I'm still seeing people dying and I'm still seeing people hurting, Lord, I understand that you see that too and it's your mercy that we need in those situations. Lord, forgive us if we don't have the right attitude. Lord, forgive us if we don't give you access to our whole lives that you can have authority through it. Lord, we say these things. Help us, Lord, to understand them fully. Help us, Lord, to really let go and give to you that we may see you working through our lives by your power and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.